Christmas Eve is coming soon. Oh, dear Bears fan. Now whisper whether the Bears will beat the Cardinals. Please tell me if you can. Nick and I will certainly try as we go through all the matchups you need and everything to do with the latest Bears-Browns game on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Us, a Chicago Bears-obsessed podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, editor-in-chief of Bears blog, right alongside my co-host, Nick Whalen of Football Guys. And Nick, let's just, let's just get straight into it, because I am burning, right? I have got a fire burning. The whole Bears populace wants to talk about Justin Fields, because maybe... We watched a slightly different game than I did, because if you're disappointed with who Fields is, I understand it. But I'm going to hit you with a hot take right out before we get into Luke Getze, who I think deserves a lot, a lot of very negative conversation over the next, let's say, 15 minutes of this podcast. To me, Justin Fields looked like Justin Fields. All the good, all the bad. And as an offensive coordinator... You got what you should have expected from him against this Cleveland defense. Am I crazy? No, no, you're you're right there. And so with that in mind, I mean, you tell me, do you want to talk about Justin Fields today? Or do we want to just kind of leave it where it is? Because I can't help but think that after a game like what we just saw, this thing's going to sort itself out over the next three weeks. There's a situation in Carolina that's kind of got to resolve itself one way or another. There are some wins and losses that kind of have to resolve themselves in Chicago, but it does feel like we're hitting the point where you and I could spend the next 25 minutes talking about Justin Fields, and that might mean something, or we could let the situation play itself out and talk about what I think was the real problem on Sunday. Well, and, and I think that's part of it is that we want to be, and again, last week, you know, Chicago won, and we were very critical of him uh, because he missed mm-hmm. some throws. He turned some things down. But when we both watched all 22, again, separately, I don't know exactly what you're going to say, Robert, but right. I was like, I thought Fields played fine, well, even, considering the O-line and the pass protection and the receivers and everything. I was like, mm-hmm. yep. Like, that wasn't I, – I do not think that was a bad game by him no. at all. I mean, where there's some missed opportunities and turndowns, there generally are. Even the good quarterbacks have them, but also Justin Fields kind of makes a habit of it. But also, Nick, way too many moments where the deep route that we were calling just never had a chance because we got pressured too early. I hated the way that Luke Getze, I'm already digging into it. I hated the way that our check against we're getting pressured was let's bring in more blockers and particularly all the worst blockers on our team. I love the idea, I guess, of using Kari Blazing Game as a blocker on the edge who's going to, for some reason, pass set inside despite Joke being on his outside shoulder. Of course, we did not win that rep, right? But if you have eight pass blockers that are worse than the eight rushers that you're now trying to stop, I think, personally, you're calling a suboptimal play. Instead, get more guys out. Somebody should be open. Stretch the defense's space a little bit. But... I digress. It doesn't help anything that Justin Fields hit the best anticipatory throw of the season over the middle, that dig route that he had to DJ Moore. We threw a couple balls with really sweet accuracy. We have an obvious play to point to, the obvious ball to Robert Tanyan that, uh, sure, we could talk about missed opportunities, but God, Tanyan, catch a ball. And... Fields had a scoring play that was pretty much just him being him at his absolute best. So while I understand that you might be frustrated, I I know I can be 
plenty of times on this podcast, Nick. I can mm. be frustrated with Justin Fields' overall process. This should have been a winning game. Like, yes. even just the same performance Fields gives. Could I nitpick? Yes. Do I want more? What, who doesn't want more out of their quarterback? It's like talking about a hockey goalie or a baseball pitcher. I would prefer you put up zero runs, right? Mm-hmm. But in the absence of that, the bats had to get going in this mm-hmm. one because I personally thought Fields did enough, you know? Yeah. Well, and also, like, so I'm going to pivot this into Luke Getze. Okay. Thank so you. If, if you were to think about a game plan, because we talked about this prior to we loved this matchup because we're getting the Browns at the right time because they were so beat up. Ugh. Right. So if you and they got Denzel Ward back, which helped them. But if you had to design a game plan to to not beat them, it's <laughs> let's let them blitz and use their great pass rushers and let's sit in the pocket. When you do roll out, let's roll out to the best edge guy in the entire NFL and try and pin him in with Cole Komet or blossing game or sometimes a receiver or a running back or we're going to pitch and do you know i think only one time we pinned him in on a crack toss like and then again like you said we're going to condense sets so they had eight guys in the box literally the entire game and, and they're all better than us right like and they're, they're all better than <laughs> us. you've got one of the best will linebackers in jeremiah owosu koromora who we made look like an absolute star i mean right. we could have that game is going to be on his all pro highlight reel if he does make the all pro list because he looked unstoppable miles so, garrett yeah keep going let, let's just talk about him okay very athletic guy outstandingly how would you beat him robert me personally Probably chances are I would, first of all, I would try to get him moving laterally, which obviously he wants to do. Right. But I would try to get commit on him as much as I could. Just like somebody in space that I trusted to pick him off. Or maybe you flash him some eye candy and you use misdirection to pull him out of his lane, get him pursuing one way and then go the other. But I'll tell you what I wouldn't do is ask 175 pounds wet Darnell Mooney to try to block him on key runs in the late phase of the game that where he's just going to long arm our guy. He's not that big for J- for joke to long arm you. You got to get beat beat. Right. And well, I, I, uh, I was, I was going to try and steer you a different way. Sure. What do you want to do? Anthony Walker's out. Their other inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Then you just have this guy that's athletic can run all over the place. Right. I would run right at him. Which, we saw it happen with Roshan Johnson and he got blocked and didn't know what to do. And Roshan got about six or seven yards. And then two plays later, we tried the third and one jet sweep uh, with tackle over with, to yep. Tyler Scott, which they knew was coming. Or if you look at that fields could literally just have snuck it if yep. we did it right. But anyways, so, so like that's, that's how I would attack that person. They were also missing some other guys, but we went to the edges all the time thinking we're going to win there. Yep. When they have speed and they have length and they have the best edges, like it didn't make sense. So it's so funny you say that because I feel like we tried the edges. I feel like we tried the inside and I have to just admit fault here, right? I I can jump on this podcast and tell people what I think I know and come across like a know-it-all sometimes. At the postgame pod, I thought or I said that I thought Braxton played pretty well. He he did not. Now, nobody oh. has played well against Miles Garrett this year. Trent Williams scored, for those that care, a 30 PFF grade against Miles Garrett. So he's just sawing dudes in half. But mm-hmm. I got caught not doing enough research and forgetting that this Browns team's interior is Sheldon Rankins and, moreover, Dalvin Tomlinson, yep. who is somebody I was banging the table for because of how forceful he is in stopping mm-hmm. the run. Dalvin Tomlinson, if, for any Bears fans who need cont- or like 
contextual evidence and don't remember what he did on the Vikings last year, he's basically Andrew Billings. So when I tell you Nate Davis had a really awful game, but he did so against an Andrew Billings type defender, I don't know how many people are going to be shocked because that's not really like Nate's game is, I understand he's branded as a mauler, but I always see kind of a move technician blocker when it comes to how he plays. Do you see power, Nick? Because I thought he got overpowered the entire game. And I would have been terrified of doing anything between the tackles that didn't involve some heavy misdirection, like a clear threat to the outside, sending Cole Kmet on an arc block assignment with his own read so that it looks like you're really leaning in that direction as you try to run between the tackles. If you let that Browns D-line beat you, I was convinced that they were going to. And boy, that was the whole story of the first half. The Bears just well, let that Browns D-line beat him. Well, when you have, you know... I don't know, 12 personnel in like the whole game, you know, like, like we had, I even saw a rep. I'm sure you saw this too. I saw a rep where they had, and I kid you not, Mercedes Lewis, who I is a bear that I enjoy this year. They had him one-on-one with miles Garrett. I kid you not. He won it. Yeah, He he did. Okay. He did. Okay. But like, (laughs) why, what are you doing? Like make it make sense. But what I would have done, Robert is not have the tight ends in or at least tight all the time. And then you have less guys in there, and then the combo blocks would make sense. Like, yes. when they ran downhill a few times, whenever Lucas Patrick didn't get beat right away or Nate Davis didn't get beat right away, they did have some positive runs up the middle. The other thing I want to point out in terms of just running game, you talked about Bayless Jones, which I agree with. We talked they about went this pre-show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They went, they went empty. Empty quarterback keep, and that was the longest run of the game. Do you remember that when Justin Fields went oh, yeah. left side? Oh, yeah. I've got a whole thing loaded about this. So so weird. So you have guys spread out, and then Justin Fields can pick where he wants to go. And then you have, so like they're just like, and then they didn't come back to something like that. Like there's there was no flow to this plan at all. And then in the passing game, the rollouts were designed to go Miles Garrett's way, right? Mm-hmm. But you also could set up in the pocket, and then when they start rushing, and then reverse out do some things like that where you move where they're attacking so they get started there i i felt like the entire offensive game plan was designed for what cleveland did best and we were set up to fail and even with that yeah i thought fields did decently well like people were like oh look at his completion percentage do you know how many of those were throwaways he was pressured on what was it like 65 70 percent of the snaps there were i mean he's getting hit and the ball comes out. He even said, he's like, I was guessing where they were going to be. Like right. there was the slot fade to Mooney where he had him and he got hit by, by, you know, Jock, whatever you want to call him. Right. Right before he got, he, he's like, well, I hope he's here. And he overthrows him by like a yard and a half. It's like, that would have been a big play. Like there's multiple of those where fields didn't have a chance. We are probably going to reference joke a couple of times. So I'm going to just pivot to calling him Joker. Because that's easy. Sure. So Joker. that's our new name for Jeremiah Owosukoromoa. But big thing that I know I look at, Nick, is the other thing I, I don't personally like. They kept squaring up Bears tight ends against Brown's defensive linemen. And that's like a weight disadvantage beyond everything. I mean, you're asking the tight end to make a superhero block in the first place. Second stage, as Kmet's become a better and better receiver, more on that later, his blocking has become inconsistent. And that's okay. I mean, if he was Mercedes Lewis, he probably wouldn't have the feet that he does when he's running routes. I will take the route running from the guy that you just paid $10, $12 million. But I'll tell you who's not going to win that block ever is Robert Tanyan, who got asked to make it a couple times, and it did not go well. 
Not to mention, another thing, Nick, that I've gotten really frustrated with, so I've got a bunch of stuff, right? This is why I wanted to spend some time on Luke no, Getzey. Fine, yeah. So I can't help but feel like I don't think Luke Getzey understands why quarterback run works in the first place. Like, it is neat as a changeup, and I understand that. But also, a lot of the teams that are running quarterback run best are doing it out of empty. Why? Because the defense that you deploy against an empty set when you check to it is something to cover a pass. And when you run against a pass defense, obviously there's a little bit of implied space. Space creates angles. Angles create yardage, right? Mm -hmm. That is a very rudimentary way of going about this. When you line up in the pistol or in the gun, with a back next to you, and you run quarterback run to the same side the defense was already expecting zone read, they are tuned up for it, and the only difference is that now you have Khalil Herbert trying to make a superhero block against somebody that's screaming through the defensive line. Oh, and by the way, Nick, they don't do these, uh, they don't do these runs out of spread sets right? This isn't Cliff Kingsbury's offense. We're going to spread everybody out and now have a six-man box against our five-man offensive line plus a quarterback run threat, and we play six on six. No, 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 no. The Bears are playing eight on seven, and by that I mean defense, defense eight. So I guess we'll go offense, then defense. They're playing seven on eight. Seven on seven, best case scenario. They'll bring right. in an eighth guy. The eighth guy's not better than the defender, right? No. Like, well, and, and then they know it's a run play. There's no surprise. Right. None. It's it's the whole thing we talked about a little bit last year when things started to decay, where Luke Getze is saying, my guys are better than your guys, and they are not. And if you think they are, you should read the scouting report again. Because, <laughs> like, there's, there's just better ways to handle these problems. And even mm -hmm. worse, Nick, I don't know if you saw this, by the second quarter, the running backs weren't reading their blocks anymore. Like, no. they, you, we actually saw a couple plays where Deontay Foreman had gaps up the middle and did not take them because he did not think that guys were going to win. And yep. I can't help but think that once you get to the point where your guys start losing trust in their teammates, oh, you got to change plans because. <laughs> well, I, th I think, I think one of the worst plays and even I think fields got frustrated too. One of the worst plays was fields pulled one from Foreman that Foreman easily had eight yards because, and he kept it around the edge and he still got eight yards. Cause he's like, I'm fields. I'm going to keep this runner on the edge. Right. But if you would have gave it, which the, that's what the read indicated, it was a huge hole in the inside. So to me, I think they got a little frustrated too. Yep. There, there was there, there is one. Um, because we talked about some of the stuff in the post game pod of like, I know they're big on the interior, but like on those third and shorts, fourth and shorts, I don't recall seeing any tush push besides the false start, the false start one at the goal line by Komet. And which gosh, then change things. It's so funny you mentioned that one. Because, uh, Nick, remind me, did the Bears win the line of scrimmage on that tush push? Yes. Oh, they did. Like, they, the finally, they finally scored it. And yep. instead, we're going to run. You mentioned the tackle over to, Cole, or to Tyler Scott to bring you in, listener. We're talking about that jet sweep that the Browns just jumped on. Another thing that I can't help but think didn't help, Nick, is that once you play tackle over to that side – what else do you want the lineman to do? Like the defensive lineman, that is. If we're going to not down block that guy when Darnell Wright's next to him, I kind of understand it because that guy's going to pinch inside very naturally. But the moment you put your tackle over the front, I mean, he's going to smell something is up, right? So if your plan is to have Tyler Scott rip straight by him, never mind the fact that Tyler Scott got stuck in the backfield like 
more than twice yes, in this game. It was weird. Because yeah. their jet timing is it's just awful. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just awful. The details on this offense are really disturbing at times. But moreover, you did not misdirect anybody. Like, and, and the moment that you're running a misdirection play and you didn't misdirect them, like, I understand that I just talked about the mano a mano thing. If you want third and one that bad, spread out to empty and quarterback run. Like, yeah. I believe we are at the point in the Justin Fields evaluation where if they are considering trading him, you need to just run him like you're not thinking about the future, right. in my opinion. And, and like, like even in that, that formation, Robert, in that play, Scott came in jet motion and the defender came with him because it's man coverage yep. and Braxton Jones passed up the D end. Well, and so by the way, people tackle over means Braxton Jones in his left tackle position comes all the way over and he's attached to Darnell right on the right side. So you have two tackles right. over there. That's what tackles over is. So he bypasses the D end to block the DB. So I don't know, just in my coaching mind, you know, again, Maybe. I'm not in the NFL here, but let's think about this, Robert. Okay. If oh, yeah. we don't move Scott over, and let's say we fake the tush push and then Fields like runs, I don't know, running back option that way. The DN can either tackle him or he can just give it to the running back that's right there. And then you still have less defenders over there. There wasn't even a linebacker over there. They had Taki Taki who was over, I think, the A gap, B gap right there. So you literally had two for two, but then you're going to have Braxton Jones take one of them. Let's say he takes him and then you have just a DN. Right. Instead of bringing more guys to the area, what if we just took the open area and even the way that they prescribed it kind of worked just down block the guy like okay neat we went and picked off tyler scott's guy did we not think he was going to beat him in an open foot race this is one of the fastest guys we have it's why we gave him the ball but we're gonna let this play get blown up for a three-yard loss instead of giving tyler scott a running back who by the way already has a conversion this season of getting a defender running sideways breaking down and jolting back up field for yardage. Like we don't like that one-on-one. I that, love that. That's, one-on-one. The, that's the running back history that he has, right? He was like, a running back. The, Lean the, into it. the race, of the pylon thing. I will take it over yeah. letting a defensive lineman blow us up. Like yeah. it was as if given the way that they constructed the play, they built the most obvious tell and then said, you can have it. Like I'm, I don't know how they thought it would work. The DN, the DN didn't do anything besides tackle the jet guy. Nope. Which Nothing. he was obviously tuned up for. Like he was timing it the whole way because it's third and one. He doesn't think he's going to get there. Like on the inside, no. he's going to, he's going to jump up field just in case because <clears throat> Miles Garrett did it on the other side too. Cause it's third and one. Like Miles Garrett's watching for Justin Fields to just take the ball and run with it to the left. The defender on the other side is watching for the jet because he's running at him, right? Like before he has the ball, like the Mm -hmm. Tyler Scott is running in his direction. What else would he be looking for? And Mm -hmm. then it's his teammates job to handle everything on the interior. So I don't know. Yeah. I've got one other thing and I'm going to, I'm going to see if you guess this. We haven't, you know, you don't even know what I'm going to go with here. Mm -hmm. So, but I've said this in past episodes, it's fourth and half a yard. And third and half a yard. I think those are the two ones that we didn't convert, right? Mm-hmm. What else could you do in that situation, Robert? In terms of like getting a free first down. Are you saying tush push? I'm saying draw them off sides. I mean, you could sure try. Get in the tush push formation. Hard count it. You're, You're probably going to get one. Reset. Like, 
Who cares? And I mean, like it worked literally last week for a touchdown. And and to to talk about what people while we're talking about these short yardages, right? To talk about what there's probably somebody who's thinking when they say, "Okay, yeah, but like what about the fourth and one that Fields didn't convert?" Like, yeah, there were execution issues all over the place. Whether you want to pin that on Mooney's block, whether you want to pin that on Justin Fields not basic, I think Justin Fields could have probably tucked and run sooner or run a flatter line and still beaten the man, mostly because, Nick, it's fourth and one. And when it is fourth and one, and you do call your own number, and I don't hate the design, I want to see my guy convert that, right? Yeah. It's it, there's almost, There's a point where in football, I think we need to be allowed to say as fanalists, like, I just wish we got it anyways, because there's so many other times where you see another player dead to rights slip out of a sack and make a play, and you go, how did 38-year-old Joe Flacco do that, right? Mm -hmm. But that said, just because there were execution issues on, say, 32, 35 of the 60-some-odd plays the Bears ran doesn't mean that you and I can't talk about the overarching game plan and the way that when things went surprisingly well, like when things that were in the call sheet did better than they should have, like Valus Jones taking crack toss. And I don't know if you saw this, Nick, explicitly. Joke makes the play there if that's Khalil Herbert. Because Khalil Herbert has lost a step and a half. And Joke is right on Valus Jones. But Valus's speed bursts past him. And suddenly, if Lucas Patrick, man, I wish I was kidding. He's becoming a meme on this podcast. But if Lucas Patrick uh, doesn't just run into traffic, Jones might have scored. Like, I know. <laughs> I mean, dude was off. And then J Jones ran into him. He's like, get out of my way. I'm, and then after contact, he shrugs him off and picks up another eight yards, oh, no. which was hilarious, right? Like, and and so then two plays later, Jones flies around the edge, zips around a blitzer, basically just stares up a corner. Because I've seen so many receivers, they'll just run that for the edge and they'll try not to get hit all that hard. And yeah. Jones, I mean, it's just fun football to watch, right? Mm -hmm. He stares him up and he's like, I'm going to run you over. Like, And he did. I, if, I, if it was me, right, I would be looking to turn Valus Jones into a third down back, like right now. Like, I mean, I would sprout it in empty. I'd motion him into the backfield or you or put him in like an orbit set. And from there, you could pitch it to him. You could even hand it up the middle if you really wanted to go that direction. And if you did, just stick him in the backfield. You Man, you could run play action to him, have him run angle routes, have him get out in the flat. Like, Valus Jones, when the ball is not over his head, has been doing okay. Yeah. As, if not, kind of fun, right? Yeah. Well, but he scored the touchdown last year in mm -hmm. Philly. It's when you ask him, I mean, I'm, I can't believe I'm citing Colin Cowherd. But he's right. Like, when you ask Bayless Jones to track the ball in the air, we are getting abject disaster. So it turns out he can't be the deep threat that I wanted him to be. Right? But he, he's but, done fine in terms of the short routes, too, though. That's what I'm saying. Because yeah. he's not tracking it, like, over his head. Maybe yeah. I'm not explaining yeah. this well enough. No, like, no, you are. Yeah. If he watches it out of – if he can see the picture clearly out of Fields' hand and into his, hand, into his own hands, he's been fine. And he's great once he has the ball in his hands. But moreover, because I'm not trying to make this about Valus. I'm trying to make this about Luke Getze. Yep. Something works. Something works better than it should have. We are never going to go back to it again. <laughs> it's the early third quarter, right? We have yep. like five more three and outs between now and yep. the end of the game. Mm -hmm. We never go back to it. We never look and say, okay, have we run anything that got us a first down in its own play? Like, where was the go ball to DJ Moore on a back shoulder ball? Just do it again, man. 
Like right. th- at what point, Nick, this is me asking you the coach, at what point do you just look at yourself and you stare at your call sheet, you turn it sideways and you go, none of this stuff is working. They got <laughs> us. And just go back to something that worked earlier in the game. Am I? Does this happen? No, yeah. No, it, it definitely happens. I mean, there's times when you, the best coaches think players, not plays. Yes. And you're like, hey, I'm going to get to, and there's there's times I've called plays and my best players just made it happen. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's not about me looking good or me being smart. It's about getting yards, first downs and winning. Like, there, I mean, you can do this the other way too, where you can say, hey, this defensive guy, is just crushing us. We're going to avoid this guy the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. But I've also had games where I've literally identified guys. I'm like, this guy is lost. We can confuse him. Um, he doesn't want to be out there. And you just abuse the heck out of him. And you get, you know, first downs, touchdowns. I mean, I've done that multiple times. Like, that's that's what smart coaching is. You think right. of players getting the ball in their hands and not plays. So I actually have a point with this as well. I like it. So there's your best offensive player is debatable. Could be DJ Moore. Could be Justin Fields. It wasn't DJ Moore today because he twists his ankle up on the first play of the game. And in my opinion, so we've talked before about different things this year, creating these like really nice evaluation fields for Justin Fields, even if the situation around him is harder because of it. Right. This was a great day for Luke Getze. Okay, so we're outgunned. We don't need that many points, right? We Our best player, he's hurt. He can play, but he's hurt. So what do we do? The answers weren't great, but keep going. No, no, no. and that's that's the problem. So, and I, before the podcast, y'all, I, I had a play and I'm like, Robert, I need you to look at this. And he looks <laughs> at it, he's like, darn it, that was, that's true. Ah. So, all right, y'all. So right before the last Hail Mary, Okay, so it's it's first and ten. You can talk about the series of plays. It's first and ten at the forty-five after Tyler Scott makes up for his drop. So I will give him that. He decided, which was obviously ballsy, because he, he's like he didn't get out of bounds. He's like I'm gonna try this, and like good for you. At least we have a wide receiver that makes effort. You know this this is that I'm staring at you, Darnell Mooney. Remember the the yes. Aguilar, you yes. know the Aguilar like the mm-hmm. dropping things. Like I'm thinking of like that meme, you know, right now. Um. So we get down to the 45. There's 15 seconds left. We run one play incomplete to Cole Komet. Uh, maybe another play incomplete. And then the Hail Mary. We literally just talked through a third and short play. Or fourth and short play. I can't remember what it was, Tyler Scott. Maybe it was third and short. Where you know it's man coverage. And the defender follows Tyler Scott. And we know that enough because Braxton Jones doesn't block a DN to block the guy that's following Tyler Scott, right? So they know man coverage is their favorite. They know man coverage is coming. If you look at the play right before the Hail Mary, Chicago's in trips to the right, DJ Moore alone to the left, running back to the right as well. And there are four Cleveland defenders that are man coverage over there. They have a deep safety. They've got 40 linemen. They've got a a backer in the middle of the field. That's, I think, blitzing. Shocker, right? Shocker. And, And the... The wide side of the field is to the left, away from the trips. And they throw, they try something real short by the sideline, overthrow, incomplete. And I was like, Robert, look to the left. <laughs> There's no one over there. No. It's DJ Moore, one-on-one with the DB. I mean, you could say the safety would go over the top. Okay, that's fine. But in my mind, we have the fastest quarterback maybe ever. Okay, 
or you could say second best or fastest ever, right? Who has shown he can beat the edge on anybody. I don't care if it's Miles Garrett. He can he can get the edge. He'll he'll outrun. We've seen him make Watt look silly. We've seen him look make a lot of great edges look silly, right? They're like, man, faster than I thought. In that situation, you could set up where you want and then reverse pivot out and sprint. Now, again, there's 10, 15 seconds left. You can't get down inbounds, but he can run as far as he can to get in minimum field goal range, or he could score a damn touchdown. I mean, this is like, let's think about players and not plays. Like, we, we oh, hey, there's we only need 10 yards left. What do you think the Browns are guarding? The sideline. Right. You know what I mean? Like, what do they can't go in the middle of the field. You got to do something different, and we didn't. We tried something that they was very predictable. Then we throw a Hail Mary again because apparently it has really good odds of getting a touchdown, which it doesn't. We did it twice, nope. and we lose the game. But I was like, look over there. It's the wide side of the field, which is the area you want to run, and it's the most green grass ever with the quarterback that can run a 4-3. I was like, because <laughs> I didn't think of this initially. Right. But the second time, I was like watching through the all-22, I was like, oh, my gosh. So I've got a double segue for you. Are you ready yeah. for me to take you down this road? Because I compl- I couldn't agree more. You talking about players not plays reminds me of a lot of the biggest problems with the Nagy tenure. Because it wasn't as if the designs were all bad. I mean, if anything, I bet you could argue, Nick, that what I'm about to talk about is the telltale sign of a bad play caller. That they do have good designs to the point where they effectively resist the game flow altogether to put their designs in right? This is where you get the Matt Nagy argument with Nick Foles, right? Where Nick Foles is running no huddle to walk down the field against Tampa Bay in 2019. Matt Nagy puts in a design that works to get Cordero Patterson wide open in the corner of the end zone, but Foles is right. Bobby Massey gets pantsed now that we gave the defense time to huddle and we don't score a touchdown. And sure, we ultimately win the game, but it starts a big fight on the sidelines, right? And so- it does feel like Luke Getzey, I don't think he's quite as bad as Nagy is about like resisting game flow, but he never pivots off of the prescribed drive starters that they have. And it's very obvious in a game like this because you see them every third play. Right? Crack toss. Crack toss. Crack toss. Oh, and it doesn't help anything that also we figure out what our get us back in rhythm plays are right? The, the, we are behind, let's get some back. It's that same dig paired with a deep flag route, right? And we're just going to call it with God knows how many protectors that we can have. And it is just never going to get open. I mean, the route tight end delay, running back screen, nothing, no ideas. And speaking of, there was one time where the offense was moving. It was at the end of the half. What happens at the end of the half? Well, you run a lot of no huddle. Which brings up a question, Nick. Why aren't the Bears ever considering just tempoing? I mean, call me a high school coach, right? But this stuff works in the high school level, in the college level, and the NFL seems to not do it because it's non-traditional sometimes. I mean, I remember a whole game where Nagy actually went no huddle with Mitch the literal entire 20, was it 20 Washington game? Might have been 2019. It was 2019. I'm remembering now. Goes no huddle the entire game. Bears score 28 points, run up and down the field on Washington, and they just never do it again for reasons that I still don't think make a whole lot of sense. Like, when you've got an athletic quarterback like Justin, and I mean, you tell me, Nick, but everything I've ever heard about football is you might be tired, but when the ball touches your hands, 
you aren't tired anymore. No. Like, you've got one of the fastest quarterbacks in football. You've got some real speed on this team. Why don't the Bears ever tempo? Like, ever. Is it? Do you think it's because uh, Matt Eberflus wants them to kill real time for their defense? Because that is the one problem with tempo. If you go right. three and out, you go three and out real fast and put yep. your defense back on the field. Yep, I know, and that definitely could be it. Um, I there's one thing that I just like to my soul believe. There's two things you have to do on offense. You either have to be really good at motions and formations, and only have a, so many plays, and that's going to confuse and you know create mismatches and leverage, or you have to run tempo. Because tempo doesn't allow the defense to sub. Right. It doesn't allow them to get really complicated calls in either. And um, it, it lets and, you force out their checks and learn them. Like, yep. okay, so if we start, to use an example, if we start trips to the left with a tight end nub on the other side and we then check to empty, we get our, like we split the tight end out and also we send the running back out to the right-hand side and we take the trip side and we space him out, right? We go from this tight condensed formation into an empty set. The defense is going to check into their empty check, and chances are you will get an entire drive with the same empty check if oh you God. just keep doing that. Or, right? or not, not the drive, the whole game. I mean, there's <laughs> I mean, there's not many times that they they can change their calls because they I remember listening to a game, this is a while ago, with Chicago against Dallas, where they had, you know, you know, packages of plays. Y'all, like they have they have hundreds of plays, thousands of plays, right? But they only go into the game plan with so many plays. I know you see the call sheet. The call sheet is like lots of formations and things with the plays sprinkled in. But like I remember watching or listening to them talk about a Dallas game where they had these route combinations and they were expecting blitzes, but they weren't, they didn't blitz. So they still had to do their blitz calls because there's so many different plays that game. So that works. There, there's there's something else with the tempo, Robert, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, there's momentum with it as well. But it goes both ways. I'm going to give you two quick stories. One is people remember the um, the Super Bowl play where New England picks it off at the goal line against Seattle. Who doesn't? Right. So I remember it because New England had a timeout and they were like, hey, Bill, do you want to call a timeout? He's like, no, because it was like the game was just flowing. And he's like, I think they seem a little unsettled. And then you get small edges doing that. I, in fact, had a two minute drive. We were having success and we got down to the, I want to say about the 15 or so. And I, I called, uh, I called choice which which means my slot receivers had a choice of what they wanted mm-hmm. to do. I was running option routes on high school, Robert, but anyways, and, uh, and is that, so is that a lot for high school, right? Right. I can't believe people can do it. Right. Even like <laughs> you want, you want, you, 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 you joked about our receivers ran a hot. You were like, Oh my gosh, they ran a hot. Like they ran one. And NFL guys can do this. But anyway, uh, the, the point is, is that the, the clock was like just under 50 seconds. And the head coach is like, hey, do you want a timeout? I'm like, nope, I feel good about this. Like, we have the positive momentum. And I want them to be confused, right, the defense. And and sure enough, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of our players made a really good play, found a guy open, we scored a touchdown. But, like, the, the point is you can use the time to your advantage um, if you have the momentum. Now, again, you're talking about if you were unsuccessful, you're going to get out of no huddle. But if you can get a little positive momentum, like just keeping them out of sorts is going to create big plays. Just like I think it kind of did against Chicago in this game. Like they yeah. had the form the fourth quarter and we couldn't get out of that. Like I would have liked that out of nowhere. Let them just call a timeout. Reset the whole thing. Just get a look that you don't like. Call a timeout. Take a breather. Like yep. that is what old school timeouts were for. And I mean, 
You can also obviously like start with your huddled offense and switch to tempo on the first first down. This is not undoable yep. to where you make sure that you at least get one so that you have an advantage that you can press. It's none of this is as simple as we're making it. But at the same time, Nick, I think I'm frustrated because I just did a bunch of research today on like quarterback metrics and where the league is right now. Quarterback play is way down. Like yes. adjusted net yards per attempt on average is almost a full point lower than it was four or five years ago, which speaks in one hand to the way the defensive coordinators are checking offensive coaches. I do think the pendulum will swing a little further back. This is probably the defensive peak. I mean, maybe I'm nuts, right? But you've got to think quarterbacks will do better than, than what we're doing going forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, Justin Fields right now is a 5.03 ANYA, like adjusted net yards per attempt. And if you know anything about that metric, usually that should put you in the 30s. But instead, he's 25th, 24th in the league right now because the league is in a rough state from a quarterbacking spot. But also, Nick, I would tell you that I don't think the league has ever been in a position where good scheme looks as dominant and bad scheme looks as plainly bad. Like, I would argue, I want to know what you think about this, that five, ten years ago, the good players made good plays because there were enough natural seams in the way that defenses were running things that you kind of knew what you were going to expect from opposing defenses. And if Aaron Rodgers hated the call, he could draw something up in the sand and make a play anyways to Jermichael Finley to ice a game, right? But right now, Best quarterback in the league in terms of productivity is Brock Purdy. He gets Mm -hmm. dogged for being a system quarterback. I think he's playing much better than a lot of people want to give him credit for, but it doesn't change the fact that when you look at the dominating schemes right now, it's not surprising, is it, that it's Sean McVay. It's it's Matt LaFleur. It's like Kyle Shanahan. It's Mm -hmm. Todd Munkin. It's all I mean, these offensive I mean, minds. Mike McDaniel. I mean, you can go through the list. I mean, Ben Johnson. Like, I I agree with you because I have two small points that lean into that. So defenses have adjusted so much, y'all. So the 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 two high safety split safety looks are so much more in vogue now. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year was the highest yards per carry that the NFL has had since like. I don't know. It's like 1920 or something like that. Like teams are like, Oh, you have too high. We're just going to run. Cause we have numbers advantages in the box and how right. that has shifted things. And then, um, but also there's been big advantages in terms of scoring and quarterback play, but it's come when there's been like um, COVID less practices. And then offenses had a huge advantage, or you could say like lockouts and things like that. And like, that would have been what I think three years ago was the COVID like shortened in terms of like training camp practices and there was like a booming and scoring and then what have defenses done they've adjusted and things have gotten way down and i agree with you i think systems are going to be so much more important now and we're seeing Mm -hmm. that that's the whole debate with do you stick with fields and build around them and get a whole system of players and team or do you go the old school route and get your dan marino your, you know, whomever elite quarterback, Peyton Manning, and then everything else will work from there. Like, that's why the debate, I think, is just so weird now. I think, I think, I think things have changed. Um, we, we do have to shift to other things within the pod. I never, never, I have, I could keep whining about Luke Getze because I, I'm just gonna make, I'm gonna make one more negative comment, just for, <laughs> if you'll allow me. Like, 
It, Make a positive comment about him. I dare you. I mean, I can. I think some. I think that Luke Getzey gets talked about like he's the literal worst coordinator in the league. Like Pete Carmichael's out there. There are guys that are worse. Like, and Matt Canada obviously held down a job for an awfully long time. Like it, it can get uglier, but it frustrates me because I do feel like Nick. There's a lot of these pieces of this offense, despite the fact that. The longer I watch them, the wide receiver coach does not look like he's being as helpful as I wanted to believe Tyke Tolbert was going to be. Uh, it doesn't help do, anything. Do, do you think that he can make George Pickens block? I don't know if he can make George Pickens block. Like, I, nice little hat tip to polls on that one, right? So far, just saying, polls his track record with culture guys. He's kind of got it. Besides, besides <laughs> I guess, Chase Claypool. Yes. No, I don't know who you're talking about. Chase who? <laughs> uh, anyways, but so... With, with right. Getsy, what right. I'm really trying to get at here, Nick, is that there are a lot of these coaches. I, me personally, when I'm watching Luke Getsy, what I'm really seeing is inexperience. I mean, Kyle Shanahan looks like he's been calling offenses at the NFL level for nearly a decade. But with, with Luke, it feels like when he panics, he goes back to what he's prepared. And I don't think you can survive forever in today's NFL off of everything you prepared for, because if they have you, you won't get out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. The Browns, like you saw Kevin Stefanski pivot near the end of the game. They called a bunch of zone beaters for zones they knew they were going to get because, yep. shocker, they'd been watching the game. And yep. to me, I don't think that the Bears need with the I, – I would not be shocked if Luke Getzey's fate was sealed by this game, at least. Like you would hope that there's more changes. But you would think that Luke Getzey's fate was sealed probably oh. by this one. Well, if the Minnesota game didn't do it, it was this one because he can't right. adjust. Like that's why the openers of halves and in, in the um, the start of the game it goes so well. But then teams adjust and we can't go off of that. All right, so pivoting, small pivot, and then we'll go defense, y'all. So uh, we were just guests on is it the BFR pod yes. podcast, right, with Dave and uh, and Ficky. But it was um, it was funny because Dave's got this thing of like anti Trenton Gill, right? Mm -hmm. And I just like haven't really paid attention to this, right? And so Did this game, obviously, Trenton Sunday? Gill, Trenton Gill did not play well. So I was like, okay, let's look into this. I shared this with Robert. And he was like, what? So EPA, right? Is it, you know, expected points added, right? All of the punters in the NFL, all of them. Trenton Gill is the second worst EPA punter in the entire NFL. So bad that he's almost negative 0.2 is the differential that he has affecting games, which, which, I mean, that's significant considering the NFL average is again, zero. Oh, it's bad. He's, he's gotta be gone. Right. Or, I mean, upgraded. I mean, how do you get worse than 31st? I, I mean, it's a UDFA position too. So it really yeah. just doesn't hurt the bears to bring in competition next year. And I would be pretty shocked if they don't. Now, I don't remember Trenton being this bad last year, but we're just not getting... I'm actually almost surprised that the Bears haven't signed another punter, to be completely candid with you. It's not that hard a position, but to be, but to also be honest, I imagine it's a lot harder for the guys that are actually in these rooms to just up and give up on somebody because the moment you... The moment you bring somebody in to compete with Trenton Gill, it's easy for us on our couch, so to speak, to say, I'll be a competitor. Like, let it fuel you. It does not always fuel you. The like, locker room thing, yeah. It doesn't work for everybody. But, yeah, Trenton Gill, I mean, if we're actually so, competing, if we're trying, 
like this he gave the Browns some spectacular field position oh my uh, throughout the game. And yeah. that's just not what you're looking for out of an NFL punter. Well, even even when you when you punt from whatever was like the fifty five, you know, or or we're so and then he punts in the end zone, it's a touchback, it's a thirty four yard punt. There are multiple of those. It was bad. Speaking of competition, <clears throat> I got something that I feel like I should lead because I've been critical oh. of this guy. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe maybe you guys, if you listen to this, you know Robert likes Tyreek Stevenson. I do. Okay, and I've been I've been critical of him, but I think honestly, being a good evaluator, a good film watcher, is being able to get new data and change your thoughts. Right? It is. I think Tyreek Stevenson had a good game. All right, he. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, people will point to the interception, but he had multiple other. I think past deflections against mm-hmm. Amari Cooper, like Amari Cooper wasn't owning him. You could talk about the 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 deep pass that he completed on him which was a broken play and he was still right there with him on one-on-one coverage which i don't think after what six seconds that's all you can ask for but tyreek stevenson y'all didn't play the whole game he wasn't in for all the snaps there was this other guy uh rookie terrell smith was in the game Mm -hmm. and looked bad and when he was in the game like any good again play caller you think players not plays mm-hmm. like oh that player's in there i'm gonna throw that guy and then it was like completion 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 and maybe you guys maybe if you miss this one maybe you guys didn't if you go back and watch that amari cooper touchdown right between like three guys the corner on that side that was in was terrell smith it was not tyreek stevenson stevenson's in that game it's at least deflected if not intercepted and so i for the life of me can't figure out when when I recognize Tyler Tyreek Stevenson's having a great game, why when they have to drive down the field to score a touchdown to tie the game, you don't have your best set of corners on the field? I don't get it. I mean, I don't get it either. Like the funny part about something with Tyreek Stevenson when we talk about this is it's like, okay, what do I like about Tyreek? Has it been production? It's never been production. It's been signals of the production that we were going to get, I thought, later in the season. There's a Tyreek is a couple times a game right now where he's still doing the same guesswork thing that he was doing early in the season, but he does it from these like deep off coverage sets that to be honest with you, Nick, I think we got to get away from these. I don't know if we're scared to play up on the line. I don't know if we're worried that we've gotten beat too many times. I don't know if Matt Eberflus simply won't let him do it, right? But these 8 to 10 yard cushions, those are where Tyreek struggles far and away the most because he can't. For example, for example, when it was tied 17-17 and they ran a flood his way, he took a post that he shouldn't have taken. That was his fault. So he was not flawless in this no. game. No. But but, he was a heck of a lot better than Terrell Smith. And, and I mean, like, it just doesn't make sense. If you want to win the game, you have the no. best players in the game. I, I don't think he was injured because he came in after that. Of course not. I don't, I don't think he's tired. Put him in the game, y'all. They've, they've been rotating, guys. Like, that was what I was building up to is, for some reason, this is just something the Bears do. Like, this is something Eberflus thinks that you can do. Because we've seen Lucas Patrick rotate with Tevin Jenkins. We've seen Cody Whitehair rotate with Tevin Jenkins. We've seen Jatiri Carter rotate with Tevin Jenkins. Like, we've seen enough of these rotations, and this started cropping up a couple weeks ago, where clearly the Bears are happy with Terrell Smith, and I'm excited he's earning his reps, but this is just not something that anybody else in football really does. I mean, <laughs> you, hey, second quarter, third quarter, whatever. It's, and it's every two or three series. When, like, when you need, but like, you're talking about the other guys that rotated in, Robert, 
when, when we hear all of this, we're like, man, this just doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, I understand if guys are like tired, you rotate D linemen a lot. That's, that's a different story. Wide receivers, you rotate them a lot. That's a different story. But Robert, if you want to win games, you have them in there, which takes me back to coaching right. is an issue in Chicago. Oh, and, and it's been an issue. Like, okay, so it's 10 to 17. Why do we not have in the fourth, right? One score game. We think Terrell's going to get this done for us. Like, it's right. it's nice to get him some developmental reps. I get it. But past a certain point, are you trying to win the game or aren't you? Are you playing your best defense possible or aren't you? Are you following the script you set where, yeah, in the fourth quarter, you're going to send in your boy that you're trying to get some extra reps? Or are you going to just ignore that and be like, Terrell, come on, man. Like, <laughs> not not right now. And the, the other thing that drives me to okay, y'all. So a big indicator with which way the quarterback's going to throw the ball is what handed they are, okay? If they're right-handed, it's a lot easier to throw to the right side of the field. Part of that, too, is like if you guys are watching the video, I can look right a lot easier mm -hmm. than my shoulder pads here. Looking left is a lot harder on a drop back. Um, and so also it's easier to set my feet and throw right. I don't have to have them perfect. Right. I can throw here. I, they have to be kind of perfect for me to go left. Right. So, and then obviously flip flop it for left, you know, think of Tua and, you know, Cade McNown for the deep bears fans here. Yikes. Okay. So Troll Smith on that completion to Mark Cooper was on the right side. Yep. Flipping. If you, if you have to play him, put him at the corner side where you think, the quarterback is least likely to throw the ball. Like to me, again, coach, like if I think this me, you know, some college, some high school coaching coach, if I can see this, how do they not? And this is their like jobs right. are on the line. They had to win this game. Had to and win you have the guy in the most vulnerable area on the field in a crucial situation. And again, he lets you down. And I mean, I, I just don't know what to say. Because, I mean, Nick, I, I feel like a doomsayer, right? I feel like somebody who said a meteor was going to fall on Pennsylvania, and then it did, right? Because we've talked about this since Terrell Smith started getting limited action in Washington, where I was like, oh, he's leaving a lot of cushion out there. Like, Terrell, I was for him, so hey, you can, you can hit on me. But, but it's, in this game? It's specific, though, because Terrell flying downfield to make tackles, he's killing it. Terrell standing in zones, like, he can do that. He has an innate sense for it. But Terrell having the athleticism to stick with guys when they break, we have not seen it yet. He doesn't have feel for when Terry McLaurin broke underneath him, and he just didn't get the ball, right? But in this game, I mean, by now, week 15, because you got to remember, like, say what we will, Nick, there is an aspect of coaching that comes down to who wants it more. Kevin Stefanski wanted it more. Like, yes. come the fourth quarter, they yes. needed this game. Like, mm -hmm. I would argue both needed this game more than the other. Like, I'm speaking, obviously, from, like, a philosophical standpoint. Matt Eberflus needs it for his job. That's about the highest motivation that you could get. Kevin Stefanski also needs it for his job. If they don't make the playoffs this year, yep. like, yep. it might be over for you. The NFL is a brutal business. So you're, you're going to allow, right, this corner that, yeah, it's been great that you've been getting him reps, but he is being found out before your very eyes. And teams have been picking up on it. Where early in the season, I think that he got a little bit of credit because people did not know his number. They had to look down the roster sheet. They had to say, oh, no, we actually don't have a scouting report on this guy, right? right. Think Caleb Haney's early games, right? <laughs> where it was like, I don't have any idea who this guy is, so we're just going to play vanilla. In the it, Bears case, it, it was like, isn't, isn't there a, isn't there a Shaq meme with this? Like, Hey, I'm sorry. I wasn't familiar with your game. Yes. Like, it's that. Yes. 
but it's in reverse, right? Yeah. Where as Ty- or as Terrell has played, especially starting last week, because he's been doing this rotation thing, you've got to think that what an assistant scout or like an a an assistant scout team coach is going through, and he's like, "Hey, this kid plays. We should throw at him." Yeah. <laughs> and 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 they, and they did it often. So I I have a gripe with the other corner. And people are going to be surprised at this one, okay? Oh, Jalen Johnson, the guy that we want to extend. Really? I agree that we should extend him. But I want to point something out. There have been two, two disastrous games that we have had leads and we should have won the game. Yes. This one against Cleveland and the one at Detroit. Both times, Jalen Johnson has dropped an interception. You could say the one is a pick six. Who knows what this other one would have been? Okay. Dropped the interception. The play after Jalen Johnson dropped the pass in Detroit, right there, remember, on the goal line? Touchdown. The play after he dropped the interception here, Joe Flacco handed to him, which was like two plays after T.J. Edwards somehow magically went through his hands. I don't know. That thing turned invisible and just, like, teleported through his hands. Teleport is probably the best word. But Johnson drops it. The next play is the deep completion Amari Cooper had on Tyreek Stevenson, which changes the whole game. Tyreek or Jalen Johnson, bro, I I want you to get paid. Bears fans want you to get paid. You catch those two passes, and I think we win both games. Probably, but it gets so funny talking about this, Nick, because, okay, so I'm trying to think of, like, another sports corollary. Maybe you can help me out with this, right? But, like, the route break that Jalen bra- – or the route – the way and the skill – and the anticipation and the read that it takes to set up one of those route breaks is so difficult that the fact that he got a hand on it is impressive. The fact that he got two on it is outstanding. It doesn't help anything that Amari Cooper does a fabulous job of contesting this one. Like, if I was going to gripe about either of them, the TJ Edwards one, we kind of got to have that. Like it, yeah. it looks so visually weird because it and, really passed. We got to deflect it at the minimum. And, that picks up the first down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Johnson body catch when he could have hand caught this from, one with Cooper? From what I saw, he tried to hand catch it. His right arm got pulled away from him. And then he tried to pin it against his shoulder. And okay. he, it, the ball bounced on him and got away. Now, I watched the broadcast once. I stick to the all 22. So I could be totally wrong there. But the one against Detroit was we just dropped it, right? Whereas this one, I thought Cooper did a better job of contesting it. But it's just, I feel so weird talking about these because you're right that it's a missed opportunity. But this isn't isn't beating the goaltender and not beating the pipe, right? Like you do get a play made on these kinds of plays. Like a pass deflection is hard enough to get. Yes, very hard. It's just that it could have been an interception. And on top of that, it might have been a score. Like it's and like and like, but like you you want to be that guy? Like we hear about you all the time. You want to be you want to be that guy? Be that guy, you know? Because right. like the play after when it's a big play, they think of the momentum change. You have that pick, or you have that pick six, right? Like think mm-hmm. of when Edmund scored, change the game, right? Versus the play after they have a huge game. You're like, oh, here we go. Like that's that's the difference, man. Speak- like you could have made that big difference in two games that we lost. Speaking of, how do you feel about the defense? I. So besides this whole um, Stevenson, Terrell Smith thing, there are a couple of things that like Joe Flacco was successful on a couple of plays 
because we didn't have contain. And it, a lot of it was Rasheem Green just like diving inside. And that's coaching. I'm like, what, what do you like? I, I We're not big fans of Rasheem Green. Like we all get that. But like, why are you trying to collapse the pocket from the inside in the B gap? Stay on the outside. And then I have a theory. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, go. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. So Rasheem Green does not get many sacks when he gets the chance to make it or to get a sack. I think he's going to take it. I did not play football. I played lacrosse, but I can tell you that as somebody who did not get that much playing time. So look, my sob story, it's not much of a sob story, right? Is our program, it was as good as lacrosse gets in Texas. It's not very good, right? But uh, I got called up to varsity when I was a sophomore, which was very rare, but it meant that my entire lacrosse career, I basically never played. I was as high as you could possibly be in the honor list, but the coach loved to play young players and also seniors. So I got caught in the middle, right? But what this meant, Nick, was that I circled on our calendar when we would play the bad teams because that was when I would get to play and then I would abandon the offensive structure because I was like, I am better than these guys. These are my only opportunities to score. And if this was my Mm -hmm. profession, I would also eyeball these bad offensive tackles and be like, I don't know if I could beat like uh, a good left tackle. I don't know if I'm going to beat Paris Johnson. I can beat this guy. Yeah. Like I can. Yep. And the problem is, Nick, I'm actually telling this whole story to circle back to the point where the coaches have to get through to him and say, man, we are going to lose if you keep doing this. Like contain is your first responsibility. I understand what you're looking for here. But if we don't win this game, man, like. We're all going down with this ship. And right. that it's it's a to me, it's a major mental mistake that yeah. it, might it's have selfish. Come. It's it, selfish. It is selfish, right? Because we kept blowing contain play after play after play yep. after play. And yep. it's a, the good news is we got a showcase game from Montez Sweat, who OT5 over there, what was his number? 66, made look literally unblockable at times. I, it's not gonna be that easy. Which Every is week. what he should do. That's your job. If you're if you're going to be that guy, you got to make him look that bad, and he did. I mean, against OT five, yeah, right. Yep. And then I thought Andrew Billings had a great day. We could oh, great game. It's another yep. one of those games, Nick, where you and I could point to a bunch of individually special performances. Like I think TJ Edwards is looking right at that 2018 Danny Trevathan level, which is awesome, by the way. To uh, mm-hmm. Tremaine Edmonds doesn't do everything right, but gosh. When he's running side to side on some of those tackles and when he's running with the ball in his hands, does he look special? Dude, he 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 messes up pass plays though, y'all. Like he is so big in there. And and I see him like looking for crossers and he gets in lanes and he messes stuff up. But the 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 play call, then again, I know it's easy because it's a a big situation. The play call I don't get, Robert. Third and fifteen. The crosser to Najoku. Okay. Did Did you notice? the same play call had worked the down before. And it was the only reason it did. They called like, a screen, like a running back screen up the middle. And Justin and Jones was there. He just happened to be standing there. Thank God. And it's so funny though, isn't it? Where then the Browns said, what if they do it again? And, and then they sent Joku behind him. I and know. Flacco saw it, was ready. I mean, in my opinion, this is me personally, right? I kind of wish the Bears basically just picked a lane. They tried to get some of the pressure, but also get some of the, like they tried to simulate the pressure on that case. Send them or don't 
is kind right. of what I'm sitting there on third. They, they were they were from too deep where they didn't get there, and Flacco had enough. It was like the opposite of what the Browns did. The Browns got pressure right away, and the Bears got pressure. It would have been another probably second, which gave Flacco time. And he's like, oh yep, look that guy's wide open. Like and also, also, I don't care if it worked to play before Robert. It's third and fifteen. Right. If you stop them anywhere short of the first down, they will not go for it. 100%. And you will go to overtime. And you chose to go basically cover, what, zero? I mean, I just would have called Tampa. I'm serious. Like, I know like, it's not worked for us in the past, but it, that's now, what now I'm trying to get to. Be conservative. That, that's your time to be conservative, Flus. You've been doing it all damn year, bro. Send them be conservative there. or don't. But when you play the sim game, especially when you play, like, blitz or place, and now you're going to take Brisker out of coverage. I don't even like Brisker that much, but I'll tell you who's better than. It's just Jones. And so <laughs> it, it's like, I, I'm i with you in soul. I mentioned the play before just to say, like, there is an element of all this stuff where we can criticize guys and we can wax and wane and be all, like, angry about it, Nick. This is hard. And what seems like the right play call, guy, you make it one time too many. And yep. you give up 20 yards. Then Tyreek Stevenson blows the tackle. And what could have cut Njoku down at the 40 is instead the 20 and the game is over. Right? Yep. <laughs> like yeah, well, He doesn't bring his arms. Yeah. It so, could, Njoku's hard to tackle. And I get that. But that was just one of those where, hey, right. I love me some Tyreek Stevenson. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. You are going to hear me turn into a, okay, it is time to talk about where we have not gotten. By the end of the season, we've had 14, 15 games to get better. Where do we need to improve? That's the tackle you got to make, like, especially in this system. So I want to transition to coach news because we're on an hour in or so, and we've just done a review of the game, which we're all frustrated. That's like 40 minutes on Luke Getzey too. Like, I know, I know Jim, Jim Harbaugh. Shout out Luke, who I know listens. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Harbaugh is a popular name, former Chicago bear. And obviously he's doing well in Michigan. He's done well in Stanford. Did well with the 49ers and is one that I think people would be excited about. The rumors, Robert, are that Jim Harbaugh, there's going to be more suspensions and sanctions coming down against Michigan next season. So I think Jim Harbaugh could jump ship. And that would be even better news probably for Chicago. I know there was like a rumor of him and like the Chargers but I think it still increases. It, okay, if he, even if he goes to the Chargers, then that means Ben Johnson's going to Chicago. I was about to but, say. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, th- those are the two, and, and we have <clears throat> one or two best spots. But um, I'm a big Jim Harbaugh fan, I think, because he wins everywhere he goes. And this whole scandal thing, I honestly, I coach. People people look at signals. We all do it. It's, like, not a big deal to me. But um, I – I think it's good news for Chicago if he jumps to the NFL, whether it's it's here or it's the Chargers. So that would be interesting news. And it, and this has happened before, y'all. People might forget about stuff, but Pete Carroll at one time was super successful at USC. Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, you know, Mike Williams, w- one of the Mike Williamses, y'all, was there. Okay, they did well, and then. The sanctions were going to come. And then all of a sudden, Pete Carroll just decided to leave USC and go to Seattle. It was a weird decision. And then, boom, the suspensions happened. Weird how that timing works, okay? So I think that that would force Harbaugh's decision more so to the NFL. So I think that's a very interesting news item. I Jim Harbaugh is probably not. So I, I'm so caught between 
right? Because so many of these legendary head coaches have come back to coaching and none of them seem like they're succeeding, right? Like I'm looking at you, John Gruden. I'm looking at you, Sean Payton, right? Guys that have built legendary programs or at least have a whole lot of legend behind them, right? I do think Jim Harbaugh could build a monster staff. Like when I look exactly at what Harbaugh is, he's a culture setter. He's a guy that has won everywhere. He does seem as if he gets the details really nailed down. He has not won at Michigan because of a disturbing amount of talent or something like that. Like it's it's not ex- quite the same thing as Ohio State, not to mention they run like a rushing offense. But then again, they do bully like Rutgers and Michigan State. I, ma- I make fun of the Big Ten all the time for this that I, I remember I mean, when they, I watched. They've been Ohio State lately. I mean, like, I, I mean, this is. This and is better than they have been. It is. But also, if you told me Jim Harbaugh goes to the Chargers, I'm like, yes, just because that clears the field. Like, I think the Chargers are, I think personally, what we are setting up for, if Matty Berthus gets fired, and unfortunately, Nick, I do think that's still an if. Like, this is this may be a hot take, but I will believe that Matt Eberflus is going to get fired over a performance that I think an objective observer would watch the game and be like, what more could the defense have done? Close at the end of the game? Absolutely. Should Flus get hand, or should Flus get <clears throat> like massive amounts of blame for now three collapses, five in two years? If you yes. want to go all the way back to twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, he should Nick. But if he walked into the owner's office and said, "My defense put fourteen points up basically by ourselves," like what more do you want from us? I can understand an organization that has three years worth of guaranteed contracts to pay out to Flus being like acquiescing and potentially giving him another year. I hope not, Nick. I hope not. It's just, it could, I just hate because it's a lame ducky, right? So you have a lame ducky coach it? and then you're not going to get a great OC and then we're wasting a year. I just Last year, me. should the Chargers have fired Staley? Yes. They didn't. Like last year, should the coach or should the Raiders have fired Josh McDaniels? Yep. They did. Well, it's the same thing with like we held on to Nagy and Fox one year too late too. Like it's just a weird thing. So so few just, people I, are too early. Small news item. We'll we'll have other coaching ones coming hey, up, but I we got to get kind of a, I think that's kind of a big news item. But well, yeah, 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 right. big news item. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But okay, let's get to the game. I've got a lot of stats here. Um, I've broken it down by O and D, and then we have some Q and A if we have time to get to it. So uh, injury report. So Arizona, um, they'll likely be without Marquise Brown, their best receiver. Uh, he's dealing with a heel. Their nickelback didn't practice Garrett Williams with a knee. I believe that's the rookie from Syracuse I kind of liked. I I'm think sure it is. Too. And also, yep. unfortunately, that's kind of his thing, isn't it? Like yeah, he, he was hurt a lot, yeah. Not only that, but I think if memory serves, he had a major ACL issue. And so to see him on the injury report for knee kind oh, no. of reminds me of Robert Griffin, right? Oh, yeah, I hope not, man. I hope um, not. Uh, Greg Dorch, I was a big fan of him coming out of Wake Forest, by the way, wide receiver. He didn't practice with a shoulder, so he's a return guy for them, too. Right. Uh, and then Antonio Hamilton, one of their starting corners, limited. And then uh, starting Dean was limited with a knee. Uh, Chicago has some interesting ones on here. So we we went into this last week. It was like, man, we have, like, no one on an injury, you know, chart coming off did. the bye. And then now we've got some people. So Darno Mooney has an illness, didn't practice. What, Marcus you, Walker has a leg. Who keeps getting every sick? Like... The, the Bears have had somebody on illness every other week. And, and it's like, hey, I'm sure he's going to play. Maybe they're just honest, right? But what is going on in Alice Hall? Wash well, your I mean, hands, like, guys. J- Jalen Hurts was illness and might not have played the other day. I mean, it's there's some weird illnesses. It happens. Um, 
Tevin Jenkins, obvious with a concussion. My guess is he probably isn't going to play. Um, Travis Homer was kind of limping around uh, in special teams last week, so he's got a hammy, didn't practice. Jalen Jones with a calf. Noah Sewell with a knee and, and Equinemius St. Brown with the pectoral. Those guys have been kind of injured a little bit. So they they didn't practice. We'll see how that goes. <clears throat> but I have some offensive news for Arizona. Can I? They're, oh, go ahead. Go Shoot. All right. So I want to just hit you with the most like icicle in your veins question. Like I'm just going to stab you through the heart and ask you something really bold, Nick. I have not prepared you for this. Nick has no idea what I'm going to I don't to want to get stabbed. I'll just say that, but okay. Are you mad enough at Matt Eberflus and the Bears organization to where you are comfortable losing this game? Or yeah. do you want to see the Bears run over a Cardinals team? I'm looking at the stats. You're about to read them. They should run these Cardinals out of Soldier Field. Mm-hmm. Like, this should not be close. It would, it would be my expectation that Justin Fields should throw three touchdowns. The Bears offense or the Bears run game should look like it's working for the first time in weeks. And a scrappy, fairly fun Cardinals defense, I would not be surprised if Tyreek Stevenson plus Tremaine Edmonds should take away the only weapon that's working, Trey McBride, and put Kyler Murray in a run for your life scenario. And that's just not going to result in a winning effort, probably. Like, to me, this is one of those awful situations, if, if you see it the way I do, Nick, where losing this game would be a colossal embarrassment because you've got matchup advantages all over the place and you're at home mm-hmm. and it's friggin' Christmas. You know what I mean? So so to answer your question, I always like these, these, these this or that. I'm going to answer with yes. Oh, yes. Yes, I would be OK if they you're lost. mad enough. And yes, and I'm mad enough because that would be the end of all this. And then, yes, I would be okay if they dominated them because I want our players to develop and play well. Right. The best case scenario would be our players play well and they have some kind of epic collapse again oh, and they and they lose know. so we have a better draft pick. These things that, are bad for my... So I'm these, okay with either one. I'm okay with either Because, I mean, you know, there is still a chance of, of the playoffs too. But so let's... There is. The defense is bad, but the offense isn't great either in Arizona. So let me no, give you isn't. some numbers, y'all. Hit you, hit you with some stats. So Arizona, 25th overall offense. 27th passing, third best rushing. That surprised me. That sounds familiar. Almost like when you're a bad passing team, you pour all your schematic effort into running the ball at an okay rate. Or or when you're bad, defenses will let you run. You're behind. behind. (laughs) And and Kyler Murray helps a little bit too there. He's been running lately. And Josh Dobbs did throughout the year. Um, 25th points per game. They're 18th and third down percentage. 31st and fourth down percentage. This was actually interesting. Sixth in red zone percentage. So again, that is when you get in the red zone and they convert that to a touchdown. So they're good at that. Uh, 30th in starting field position, which is bad. 23rd in points per drive. They have four people of note in terms of PFF rankings. Uh, James Conner hasn't played the whole year, but he's sixth best in PFF in terms of running backs. Trey McBride, fourth best tight end. Will Hernandez, 16th best guard. And I cannot pronounce his name. Their center is the 24th best center. So that's the offense. What are your expectations, Robert? I'm going to go with Halte Frohold. That's <clears throat> that's my guess on that center's name. Uh-huh. Uh, but so from the Arizona offense's perspective, I mean, first of all, I think that this is a fun game for Montez Sweat because he should be matched up against Paris Johnson. 
for the overwhelming majority of the day, which is going to be weird for Sweat. I actually don't know how Sweat handles getting outreached because Paris is one of the rare people that actually has the the ability to outreach him. Paris has enjoyed an inverted or a similar season to Darnell Wright. It may surprise you. It may not, Nick. I don't know how closely you've followed Paris, but basically the two have been the same in pass pro, but Darnell Wright's a better run blocker, so he's got better grades. Uh, across the board. And he has been a better run blocker. Both have been consistent. They're rookie tackles. We expected this. Now, when I look at this offense, I mean, because I've actually had a lot of fun watching the Cardinals this year. I don't know why. Maybe it's the maybe it's just the bright red jerseys, right? But I've enjoyed watching them. And they play some ugly offense. They just cash in, to your point. I mean, they run a lot of stuff over the middle. Kyler has run a lot of timing stuff. And the Bears have been playing so much middle field close that... I just think it's a terrible matchup. The only yeah. thing the Cardinals have going for them, a terrible matchup for the Cardinals, that is. Um, the only thing the Cardinals really have going for them isn't Trey McBride. Because the Bears have been, tell me if I'm crazy, kind of erasing every tight end not named Njoku. It's not like Hawkinson has had these amazing performances I mean, against the, the Bears. Laporta didn't look good Laporta the other day. didn't look hey, good by, either. By the way, I got, some, I got some Paris Johnson stats for you. Hit me. He's allowed five sacks in his last four games. Ooh. I mean, that's pretty normal where it's like you hit the league and nobody really knows how you work. And then about halfway through your rookie season, you take a step back, right? That's the old sophomore slump. I feel like now it comes earlier. Am I crazy? No, no, I get it. But so at this point, Nick, my thought is, is that if the Cardinals want to score, uh, I think the only way, because I think we have to flip the scouting report. Normally it's like if the Bears want to stop them, the Bears should stop them by default. The Bears are on fire in run defense. The Bears are doing a great job forcing third and longs from there. They send pressure. They are controlling the throws that they have coming at them. And they're doing a great job with those throws. There's only so many route combinations you can run against what could be a six man blitz. The bears are taking advantage. Honestly, good for Matt Eberflus. Good for all the guys on this team. Kyler Murray's going to have to run the ball and he's going to, he's going to have to, he's going to have to shake and bake and get loose and force Flus to back off and play contain. And mm-hmm. if he does that, he's going to put the Bears back in the schematic place that they were to start the season. I still don't think it's good when they when they just go pure Tampa 2, pure cover 3, yeah. pure cover or pure cover 2 because I really don't like their coaching points, but that's a whole discussion that we can yeah, have on this podcast. But now that they're healthy, I think it changes it a little bit cuz I mean, when be you have all your deep yeah, it's better. And then you have sweat too. But the other thing to keep in note here is that with them passing the ball and you dropping into these coverages, they might be without, again, Marquise Brown, their best receiver. Yes. And then Greg Dorch, which I would say would be probably third or fourth best receiver. So they could be down their two best receivers, much less the talent everywhere else is less. So they could be in for a long day. You might not have to bring the right. pressure. You might actually want to just, again, collapse the pocket on a short quarterback that can't see Right. And then limit the rushing lanes for him. Now, Nick, are you a priors guy? Do you have anybody that like stats be darned? Like you think that guy's good and there's nothing that's going to change your mind because you thought he was good coming out of college. I everything I change a lot over time. I'm a big Kyler Murray fan, though. Is that you're talking about Kyler Murray? I'm talking about Rondale Moore, who could be a problem oh, matchup in even, the slot. Like, even. I have a story <laughs> for you that you don't know about. What? <laughs> Uh, so again, I have this coaching background, right? So I went to the Nike clinic. Um, I think it was Glazier clinic in Chicago and I ran into, uh, I just won't, I won't name names. I ran into one of his position coaches. Okay. Okay. But, well, actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His name's uh, Jamarcus uh, Shepard. I believe is his name. Awesome. Uh, so this would have been like 
This was this was after his soft uh, Rondell Moore's sophomore year or no freshman year. Sorry. So if you remember Rondell Moore, that game against Ohio State was the game. He was oh, yeah. the best player on the field. He won the game for them. It was unbelievable. So I was I went to this this clinic and then you look at where people have been and this guy was at Western Kentucky, Jamarcus Shepard, the coach, mm-hmm. and. I was at Western Kentucky. So I'm like, oh, oh. I have an in, you know? Oh. And so I was talking with, or I, and I was like, okay, he was there just after me. So like I could name drop some of the people there and he'll be like, okay, this guy's legit. Right. So after, after he talked, I stayed for two of his sessions. It was good. It was pasta, right. which I like. And so I, um, I went and talked to him and said, Hey, I saw you're at Western Kentucky, you know, and we talked a little bit about that. And so then at that point he kind of dropped the guard a little bit and he was like, okay, Hey, you know, he knows, right. you know, right. whatever. And uh, so I talked about a few passing concepts and, um, and then at one point I just, I had to fanboy it cause I loved Rondell Moore. Who did? I was like, I was like, I was like, Hey, how good is Rondell Moore? He's like, Oh man. You know, it's like, he's like, it was tough to coach him because he walked in first day and he was the best receiver we had and you want him <laughs> to earn it and not, you know, and you know, be humble, all kind of stuff. But this is the coolest story about the whole thing. So that game when Rondell Moore was unbelievable, y'all, he tells me this, he's like, I got, he's like, I got to tell you this. So after that Ohio State game, it's like, you know, you get back to campus. It's like, I don't know if it's like midnight, one o'clock, whatever. He gets a text from Rondell and he's like, hey, coach, in the third quarter, man, I should have broken down and, and made a better block here. And I just really had bad leverage. I was out of control. So he's a freshman. He was the best player on the field against the best team, the best upset in their school's history. Yep. It's 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the morning. He's not out partying. He's not out doing that kind of stuff. He's watching the film to get better and talking to his coach that I was, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I was that. like, I'm, I'm a fan. So Rondale has struggled some, but hearing that little story from his position coach, which again, like he's not telling that story to everyone to make them feel good about right. Rondale. I'd already established a little connection with him. He's telling that story to be like, Hey, this guy's legit. And I think he was legit. I, I wonder if he, will develop if he gets in a better system if he wasn't a good like air raid type receiver right not to mention i think this is a great test for kyler gordon because kyler being a relatively smaller nickelback there are guys and he doesn't play big either like roger mccreary's his size roger mccreary plays for like three inches taller than him right do, do, you want, do you want to talk about kyler gordon's tackle attempt on cedric tillman it wasn't amazing <laughs> him, Robert, what are you doing? Dive, go at his legs or something. He just went, eh. Right. I love Kyler. I think Kyler plays fearless. I think Kyler is, he, he sometimes acts like the liquid terminator in the ways that he's able to break. He's agile. It's all hell. But that, that, that play just didn't look like him. I was like, who is that? I know. Rondale Moore is one of those human joystick type guys that I am yeah. surprised hasn't gotten more usage in uh, in Arizona. I mean, we've now just spent eight minutes talking about Rondale Moore, a prior. The guy doesn't have 300 receiving yards. Darnell Mooney know. is having a better season than he's, Rondale he's Moore the, is. He's the 119th out of 122nd ranked PFF receiver. That is he's not third, good. No, but fourth it, to last. His speed, you got to think that it's going to pop at some point, but the same argument could be made for Valus is higher than that, isn't he? Oh my gosh. I mean, you just said he's enough snaps. You just said he's third from the bottom. Like, let me me look. Keep talking. I'll look at Tyler Scott higher than that. Gotta be. Let's look this up. And like, Tyler Scott has like a game crippling fumble on his record. So Valus, Valus doesn't have, okay, I can do this. So Darnell is 104. 
That's which not is great. another issue, y'all. <laughs> Scott is 106. That is also not great. But then also, if I look at the PFF grades, Bayless. Okay, y'all. This is how bad Darnell Mooney's been this year. Bayless Jones has a better overall grade than Darnell Mooney. It's also a usage thing that Bayless. I know, is... but, but come on, man. <laughs> I know that's not that should even be a question, Robert. <laughs> all right, all right, y'all. So let's keep going here. So defense, okay, with Arizona, thirty yes. second overall defense, thirty second. There's thirty two teams, y'all. Thirty second in pressure percentage. So this combines sacks, um, you know, hurries, all that kind of QB hits. They're 27th in blitz percentage for when they will blitz. So that's also good. 31st in pass defense, 26th in rush defense, 31st in points allowed per game, which is 26.9. 31st in third down percentage, an area that they're good. Here we go. Seventh in fourth down percentage. Yeah, but so isn't that like they're such not a cheeky I, stat. You know, know what I mean? I know. Whatever, man. Whatever. Okay. 23rd in red zone percentage. So that's again, when they get to the red zone, teams convert touchdowns against them. 32nd average starting field position, so dead last, and 31st in points allowed per drive. They are bad. Okay, here are their defenders, right? I just try to get any defender that was maybe mentionable. Yeah. <laughs> so their their nose tackles 34th uh among interior D linemen. That's not bad. Edges, Zaven Collins has had a successful transition from linebacker to edge, 37th. BJ Ojolari, people will remember him from LSU, rookie this year, 54th. Kaiser White, the free agent from Philadelphia, he's 66th. Uh, corner Antonio Hamilton, he's 61st, which means all the NFL teams, he'd be fourth worst corner of all the starters. It's not great. Um, they're starting, their safety duo is okay. Jalen Thompson is 23rd among all safeties. He's a strong safety. And Buda Baker coming back from injury, maybe he's a little bit not what he was, 42nd overall. So what do you think when you look at this defense? Besides, they're bad. Like, why are they bad? Well, they're, they're in a rebuild. They don't have talent. Yes. I don't think. I mean, I th- think of what they've done. They they have had these Hassan Reddick and um, Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins, all first-round picks that they have messed around with and said, hey, you're going to be a linebacker. Hey, you're going to be an edge. They, you're going to be a safety. And those are three first-round picks. You invested in defense that you couldn't figure out where they could play, and they leave, and they have success other places. When you continually do that and you can't invest in your team properly you're going to get bad and then you have a new regime coming in and they're cleaning house and yeah it's it, it hasn't been good i wouldn't put this on like gannon or whatever this is no this is chicago last year that's exactly what this is right not to mention i mean so look we could talk about gripes that we have with kime like and the way that their organization valued players but i would argue that the Arizona defense and the lack of talent on it is debatably, Nick, a referendum on the positionless players movement that we started to see on defense because it turns out Isaiah Simmons needs a position. Like, if you don't know what he's good at, he may not be good at anything. And it's the same problem we saw with Jabril Peppers not all that long ago. Darnell Cordell Savage. Patterson. I was going to say Darnell Savage in Green Bay right now where people go, oh, man, he's like kind of a linebacker and kind of a safety. And you go, so he's neither. Right. And he's and if he can't play Kyle Hamilton, then you got issues. And yep. it's it's so funny because I still don't love the four three, but there's no denying that as these offenses start building to take on like what we see as like this Fangio emphasis defense. Let's let's say it that way instead of three, four. Right. Like the Fangio emphasis defense is all about stopping the pass. So how do you beat those defenses? You run on them. 
and you grind them down. So then the bears come along and it's a it's a true change up. I mean, it's like going from fighting somebody who's right handed and you have to watch out for that hook to fighting somebody who's left handed. It's just completely different. Like mm-hmm. the bears are based to stop the run game, which is a problem for all these offenses that have suddenly based themselves in the run. But yep. I'm really talking here because the main thing that you look at Arizona and see is that they don't have any of these field tilting players that you can see the impact. Just look at Montez sweat. It's yep. not fake. Like if you don't have that lead dog pass rusher, that is going to set the ceiling for how long the quarterback can hold the ball. If you don't have that field isolating shutdown corner that then forces the ball into designated areas of the field. And then Nick, if you don't have that heady linebacker that can take the space away that the quarterback is looking for, which ironically you could even argue that definition, depending on the play applies to both guys that Chicago has when they're at their best. Like, if you don't have these guys, you have one of the worst defenses in football. And yep. the Bears had that for the first six weeks of the year. <laughs> like, well, 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 think players, not plays. Same thing on defense. You have to have the players or it's not going to work. Yeah. And right now, if you ask me, their biggest problem is that they just don't have horses on the defensive line. You can't fake not having horses. You can fake not having a third horse. You can fake not having a fifth rotational guy, right? But you need that first horse. Because it's really hard to set up a blitz package if you don't have Matthew Judon, right? Like, think about the Patriots. They've always had one guy. Remember when it was Trey Flowers? And they were scheming everything off of what Trey Flowers can do? You need one guy who's able to be the tip of your spear from a pass rush perspective, or you're going to have to blitz like maniacs. And I don't know Arizona's blitz percentage. They used to be crazy blitz heavy. I couldn't tell you what what Gannon does. I feel like from a, from a peek behind the curtain perspective, Nick, like as we've started to realize that you and I are going to talk a lot about whatever the Bears Twitter zeitgeist is of Wednesday. Uh, and so right. we, we won't always get the time because life happens to really scout out the next opponent, nor or so we, we kind of just go off of what we've seen, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. in this Arizona team, I mean, it should feel night and day, should, from what we saw uh, against the Cleveland Browns because Arizona doesn't have the guys for Nate Davis to have excuses to play have a bad game. Maybe Cody Whitehair gets danced around because he's not that great. Maybe Cody Whitehair and Lucas Patrick become a problem, but you would expect Braxton Jones to have a major rebound game. You would expect Darnell Wright to stop BJ Ojolari. That's just not near the scariest edge rusher that he's faced this year. And I would expect to play him in college. He probably uh, did, right? Probably did. But also Wright was playing on the right side. So maybe not. It it is funny, isn't it, by the way, how like Will Anderson, like all these edge rushers that we've seen are starting to line up on the right-hand side. The right-hand side is almost becoming your premier pass rush tackle or pass pro tackle just because, I mean, where else is Nick Bosa playing, right? Max Crosby's over there. What does it help to have a premier pass protecting left tackle when you face everybody but Miles Garrett? And even then, is anybody good enough? Like- That's a lot of, of talk, but basically, Nick, I I would be surprised, assuming DJ Moore is healthy, if Justin Fields in this offense doesn't eat this week. People, oh, yeah. people don't realize how well the Atlanta Falcons defense is playing, so that could be a down week when everybody thinks that they are just hot trash, right? They're hot trash on offense, but 
this week, if it's not a blowout, gosh, I'm going to eat these words badly, aren't I, Nick? You just know it. It's when you start predicting a Bears blowout, you really get in the hole. But if it's what, not what, a Bears... What's your, what's your prediction then? Oh, gosh. I think it I think it should probably be like 27 to 10. Like I mean, I I'm fully expecting another defensive score, which I was right about. I said that on every podcast that I went true. on. That is true. And I was just I got two. <laughs> the first one just didn't score. I was right. loaded up and ready to say I was right. Should have scored by the way. Uh. <laughs> and also I was I looked back at the Tyreek Stevenson pick. If Jack Sanborn blocks the tight end behind him no way tyreek takes it go back and look <laughs> oh tyreek goes gosh. outside it's gone that's hilarious he's got Joe Flacco and a, and a guard he's like house call i so, think this game has a force-fed pass to trey mcbride written all over it i mean that's all they got the bears are turning over quarterbacks at this insane rate right now is this the third week in a row they've picked the opponent off three times this doesn't happen anymore they're, quarter they're, they're that good. Quarterbacks that don't good. throw this many picks. So, so, so you said you said 27-10? 27-10. Okay. I'm going to say 31 to 13. I like it. I think that's um, I think they're going to get some field goals, still get some touchdown because, you know, things happen. Um but also it's cold weather. Arizona's coming to this, you know, December game in Chicago. They're a dome team. I mean, whether it's cold weather or not, we'll see, but they're they're a bad team. I mean, we shouldn't lose this game. They're a but, bad dome team playing in the elements yep, on Christmas it, with nothing know, to play just, for. But like, but, but does Chicago have anything to play for? Like, I mean, this could be one of those things where you saw teams quit on Staley and quit we're on, not out of the playoffs yet. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see what happens. All right, do you want to jump into the Q and A stuff? You know, we are an hour and a half into the show. I feel horrible, but I don't know if we have time for the Q and A. We can rapid fire, okay? So. Buck Rapid. asks, Buck asks, news just dropped that the Chargers are interested in Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh's called J.J. McCarthy a gift from the football gods, who he would, quote, follow to hell and back. With that in mind, say Harbaugh takes the Chargers job and wants J.J. Would you want the Bears to include the first overall in a package to go get Herbert? And what else do you think they would need? Oh, my God. Um, first off, yes, because then you get Herbert on a cheap deal because – they they would be paying his guaranteed money. Yeah, I'd give up first um fields. Um Carolina second. I don't know what I don't know what else you have to give. You have to give up quite a bit, probably. You probably would, not to mention, I mean, obviously there'd be a market for it, right? But right. there's also part of me that wonders if you'd end up in a negotiating bizarre stalemate, because obviously Chicago has to assume the contract, but also like they're not trading Herbert to the team at four. Like there is a piece of this where you almost look at this, Nick, and you go, well, neither of us are, are bidding against anybody else. Like it, it's just us. We are locked in this. You know this, what I mean? This is the Aaron Rodgers to just trade. We know you got to get rid of him. <laughs> that. We know he's going to, you want him to go there. Like it's just back and forth. Right. Part of me wonders if you could go do it for number one and then like a future two, but maybe I'm being insane. But also I think that this number one overall pick is incredibly valuable. I yeah. also think that there's a very solid shot that they wouldn't want number one. And if they did, they would want number one so that then they could trade back with it because they would think that they could get JJ later. But if they got scooped, they'd be fuming. So maybe if, if JJ McCarthy went first overall, I do think that that would be one of your rip up your mock drafts moments. And it would be a seminal moment, literally remembered 
forever. You know well, what like, I mean? Like, like when Daniel Jones got drafted, and I was like, wow, they actually did it. That's At least he got drafted like eighth, right? Instead of first. Couldn't, I couldn't believe they did it. I know. Um, all right. Quinn asks, which is actually more valuable, an elite quarterback or an elite coaching staff? And to me, we've kind of answered this question by how the NFL is changing. I think it's elite coaching staff because we're seeing retread quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff. We're seeing the system quarterbacks, Brock Purdy. You could put Tua in there. Geno Smith bounce back. You get him in the system. You get talent around him and people are thriving. Like it's very changing. Actually, I looked at this, Robert, because, you know, with the top quarterbacks right now, the top, I think, 15 or 16 in quarterback passer rating. Only one of them was the first overall pick. And only one of them was still one is the first overall pick on that team that drafted them. Only one. We so much time we're beating down. You have to take a quarterback first overall because you're there. It's the only way you're successful. Who else has done that? Joe Burrow is the only one that's there. Trevor Lawrence is struggling. We're seeing all these other teams that are struggling. Patrick Mahomes was later. Like, there's not one way to do this, y'all. And to me, if you have that elite coaching staff, you trust them and their processes and how they're setting up players to be successful and not plays, which we talked about before. I do think it's a bit of a non sequitur for what it's worth, Nick. Not which is not to tamp on your argument. It's more to say if you asked all these elite coaches, "Hey, do you want to take a quarterback at one?" They aren't going to let you finish the sentence. They're just going to say, "Yeah, absolutely, I would." Like the coaches keep kind of looking into it. If that makes sense. Now that's good. Elite coaches are going to look into these things. I'm with you. I think the elite coaching staff way more important, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think identifying elite coaching staff actually becomes more of a chore than we think it is. I think Mike Tomlin is an elite coach with a bad team, right? But when you're an elite coach with a bad team, you take Duck Hodges into a playoff race and you're never any better than 15th in the draft order and you don't get better from there and you end up stuck in mediocrity, right? The Patriots team still can't get out of their own way and tank, nor are they going to. Because right. even with one of the worst Patriots teams assembled, which is, you know, Bill Belichick, the GM's fault, right? Look at the way right. the defense is playing, man. He's amazing. Like, they don't have any dudes. But no. they're still balling. Like, they think they're the Jets. They just, you know, have one of the worst offenses in the league, period. Like, I think that the good coaches are much harder to find. But moreover, we have to identify them usually because they get a good player. Right. It's really rare. You get a quarterback as exceptional as Justin Herbert, and he's stuck on a team that obviously can't use him. That is not easy to to find, in my well, opinion. I, and I, I know this is an NFL question, but like I take this down to, I mean, I, college, you, you recruit. Let's go to high school. OK. Why do the same teams do well all the time? They might not win the state title every year, but they have winning records. Do, do those programs just luck into good players all the time or do they know how to coach them develop them make them be successful exactly. it's exactly. coaching and i mean it doesn't help and, and I, but but i'm biased i'm a coach i'm biased y'all. Well, and i Go mean ahead. we're so hard on coaches and we're so easy on players can i use an example all right so i'm gonna hit you with the higgity hot take that i do not believe i'm using this as a launching point for discussion this is not my actual thought right oh we thought zach taylor was terrible right now Zach Taylor looks like he's been buoying the entire operation and it calls into question. Wait a minute. Okay. So Burrow hasn't played outside of Zach Taylor and Zach Taylor has Jake Browning looking like Joe Burrow. How good is Joe Burrow? 
right? Mm -hmm. And we thought Kellen Moore was awesome and Mike McCarthy sucked, right? Turns out we were very wrong. Like, it is so hard for us to pin credit on the right coach half the time, especially when they make us love the player. And you get real people out there saying Brian Dable has nothing to do with Josh Allen. And I'm like, how can you say that? Right. But then all these other quarterbacks come in and obviously like it's one. Th- I think it's impressive that Brian Dable wins with Danny or Danny, I keep saying Danny, Tommy DeVito. Like he's won any games with that team. Tommy DeVito. They're you thinking twins. Their wide receivers and offensive line are 2022 Bears bad. Oh, Maybe worse. Bad. Like, I, well, Wandale, wait, 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 hold on. Is that an excuse? Can we say those? Or, Wondale those Robinson okay. versus Darnell Mooney. Who do you take? I know. I know. No, I'm serious. I'm asking no, you a right non-rhetorical question. Like, right now? Are you picking? So let's go back to 2022. 2022 Darnell Mooney and Wandale Robinson. Okay, 2022. I would, right now, I might take Wandale Robinson. Right now, I might too. But if, <laughs> if that's your, like, if that's the guy you got, <laughs> I mean, yep, come my, on. No, I get it. But get it. nobody cares when a coach, actually, people get mad. When a good coach, like a good coach, wins two to three games that they're not supposed to on a really awful team. People hate that because of the way the draft works. So while Quinn, I think that elite coaches are more valuable, I do think that you end up with this Plinko game of trying to somehow line up a good coach with a good enough roster that you can just be good instead of one of them reaching the other too late. You know what like, I mean? Like right now, right now, I, and I, he's not going to win it. I think Coach of the Year could potentially go to Shane Steichen. He should go to Shane Steichen. He is doing an amazing job at Indianapolis. You've, you've lost your quarterback, barely have had Jonathan Taylor, and you're eight and what six right now. Don't have any talent. I understand that they've got like DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and a couple other guys that we know because we all watch the Indianapolis Colts. But like, how many dudes do they have? Not that many dudes. And Michael Pitt, if Michael Pittman's your best dude, what do you think he is? Top twenty-five. Like, I mean, I, I, I've liked him for a long I time. Know you have, but, like, but, but like, let's just say 20, but uh, you, you have Quentin Nelson, the O-line's, O-line's above average. Well, they look like it now because they only run RPOs. Like well, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Like, I mean, yeah. they are playing around this idea of, well, why would we give up any pressure when we're just going to choose not to? Like yes. we're going to, we're going to run such quick plays <laughs> that we're not worried about it with a quarterback that we think you trigger man on that. And like you're saying, it just makes sense. And it is completely fitted to what makes Gardner Minshew Gardner Minshew. And they are scoring points, man. Like, and, and, and they might win that division. Um, but I, I know we got to wrap this up because it's time. Do you have any other questions? Let's see. Okay, so reading through the Q&A, our lightning round is not going well. We're getting stuck. Uh, so let's see. <laughs> Should should Bears play, or should the Bears play Getsy as quarterback in the fourth quarter so that we can see what he's thinking? <laughs> I'm gonna fire I these at you, and I'm gonna time. not answer them. Okay. Good. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like I want you to answer that one first. Uh, it would be hilarious. Um, and no. Does an offensive breakout in this game against Arizona change the conversation on drafting a quarterback? Um, no. We need more than one game. If the Bears end up with the second pick, is it going to be May, another player, or a trade down? I think it's going to be Malik Neighbors. Nice. Do you think Justin Fields is better than Kyler Murray? That's tough. Um, 
Man, that's tough. I'm going to say no. I think Kyler Murray's better. I I really like Kyler Murray's talent. I know he struggles throwing over the middle of the field. Um, I think that he's he's he can be a little more creative. But I think Fields is a better runner, and Fields is better. It's close. I would go Kyler Murray. How much better is Kyler Murray than Justin Fields? That was the original question, but I added one in the middle. It's 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 not a ton because right now, if we're we're actually being real honest. Arizona might be regretting that contract extension, and they're even thinking about maybe corner. They're not even sure, which Kyler, is exactly where Chicago is. I would argue Kyler put them in a real spot because Kyler won a couple games that Josh Dobbs probably wouldn't have, and now they don't have a clean reset, and the clean reset is just easy to excuse, right? Similar yeah. situation to the Bears, where it's like, oh, you get the number one overall pick, you take this really highly touted guy, assuming you like him, like the media is going to be on your side, and that does help. Right? Yep. Like, you do need to keep season ticket holders in seats. All right. Yep. Do you want Mooney back? No. I I find it hard to disagree. Like, I love Darnell Mooney, but right now he looks unhappy in Chicago. He looks bad, in like, overall. As, as a coach, there's one thing I care about that you can control. It's effort. And I don't even see that. And, and we wanted to basically just, like, I don't know, excommunicate Chase Claypool from any Chicago anything. And you could debate who had worse effort right now. Why do you think, now this is a Robert asking the question, but why do you think that between rookie Justin Fields and now third-year Justin Fields, do you think it's a Bears org problem? Do you think it's a Justin Fields problem? Do you think it's a complete coincidence that we just continue to get receivers quitting in ways that we did not see? I swear we didn't see this with like, the last decade of Bears football. And it's one of those things where, Nick, to use that old meme that you've seen, I assume you've seen this, like, uh, if 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 I got a nickel for every time a Bears wide receiver quit on this team, I would have three nickels. And it's not that that's a lot. It's that it's really weird it happened three times. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think, again, we're all guessing here. I think part of this is last year Darno Mooney was the guy. This year, Darno Mooney was going to be the second guy, right? Yep. That's tough on a team that we thought was going to be pretty hopeful. And at this point, he's not playing well, and he's not the guy. And I think he's he's a little deflated. I, I just don't know, but it seems yeah. that way, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. What do you want to say about the draft order? We've got Tankathon lists the Carolina pick at number one, uh, the Chicago pick at number five. For those who don't know, the Eagles uh, lost out of nowhere to Drew Locke, which really felt out of nowhere with that JSN touchdown, brought the Carolina strength of schedule up enough that it is going to come down to the wire between them and New England. So the Bears effectively hold a dead tie one game advantage over the New England Patriots for first overall, for those who care. Uh, it, it looks as if, who do they have this week? The Green Packers? Bay. Green Bay, at I, home. I'm not worried. Like, am I crazy for saying that? This Carolina def- or this Carolina offense needs more than just a bad Joe Brady defense to score. Like, what people keep forgetting about the Bucks is that they've got tools and they've got an offensive coordinator that is good. And yes. the, what they've got going on in Carolina is not just bad, it's also uncreative. So Green Bay's got the dogs, I assume, to eat. They're eating on offense, and this is a bad defense. I would be pretty blown away. It would be embarrassing in a way that would be hard for me to fathom. And the you to the point where you almost do hope the Packers come close to losing, just because it'd be funny. 
Like, and we could bribe people about it for a while. But in the world of confidence level, I was not that confident about them beating the Falcons. Like, confident as I can be against one of the worst teams. And that's just not a good matchup for anybody. But, like, especially once we heard it was rainy. You know what I mean, Nick? Like, that, that became a in, a... in a clean weather game, I don't think Atlanta loses that game. I mean, honest to God, like, if Ritter doesn't make what he himself described as the worst play of his career, they still don't lose that game. I know. I like... Know. It was it was such a sell job, but I also can't help but think, Nick, that it is actually it's week seventeen and week eighteen that this is going to really come down to. A is Trevor Lawrence healthy? B are the Jags going to play with their heads on straight? And C is is Tampa Bay going to have the division locked up by week eighteen, or are they going to have something to play for? I I don't think it's locked up. That's a tight race. Well, it I think if memory serves, you are actually cheering for New Orleans this weekend because. Tampa plays New Orleans. I don't know where it is. I should. Should be more prepared. No, let me look here. I'll look it up. But Tampa plays New Orleans. And nope, as nope, I- nope, nope. It is at the the Saints are at LA Rams. Next week, it is New Orleans at Tampa. That's the one. Uh, you're cheering for Tampa to lose that game. Because yep. if they lose that game to the Saints, it is a dead tie division race. And if they win that game against the Saints, they should have the tiebreaker. And they've got no seeding to play for because they're they're fourth. <laughs> well, or, or right now you're cheering for Jacksonville to beat Tampa this week. Right. To make them more hungry too. Just to put them in that spot. But we'll just have to let all those chips fall. Yeah. My thought is the more you tie, twist yourself up over whether the Panthers are going to lose. Uh, look, I have this like golden rule in Chicago. I don't know if you ever have this, Nick, but it's like generally whatever I want to happen doesn't happen. Uh, it's a bummer. But it generally doesn't. I I have I have one final thought. Hit me with your final thought. And this is this is just for everyone listening. Okay. Twitter can be great. Twitter can be terrible. Okay. We don't need to debate endlessly about what they're going to do at quarterback when we have three games left in the season. Like like we can just we can table it and wait to see what happens. They they could end up with the second pick, and that changes a lot of stuff. So like like let's just be nice to each other, y'all, and like have a good holiday. Absolutely. And speaking of the holidays, I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday season. Please be smart about watching this Bears game. It is a 3.30 game on Christmas Eve. Just make sure those close to you are aware. <laughs> if, if, you're in my, if you're like me, Nick, you need, to, you need to probably mention it to those you love or be willing to catch the game later. We are going to have to figure out what Bear With Us will be. We may just do two shows later next week because I spend Christmas with my wife every morning, Christmas Eve with my family. That is not happening. I am not going to win that battle, and nor should well, I. Nor should you. Should Your family's more important, so that's fine. Exactly, exactly. But also, uh, more just letting the wonderful audience know. Uh, Nick, you got anything final as we wrap up? No, no, I, I have one more day of work tomorrow and then I'm going to have, have some free time. So it'll be, it'll be fun to maybe just in, enjoy some time with uh, my, 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 my dogs. I don't have kids. I have a dog over here. I keep looking. If you keep <laughs> wonder why I'm looking over here, my dog just has surgery. He has like the big cone. And anytime she like might hit the side of the cage, I'm like muting all the time. So right. I got to take her for walks and start getting her leg back together. She had her TPLO, which is an ACL surgery. Okay. And I'll spend time with my fiance and and fam. And then, uh, but also just a quick little thing, man. I'm, I'm getting really, really strong right now, Robert. Like I'm working out a ton. Yes. And it's, it's been a new thing of like, um, 
nutrition and fitness that I'm, I'm really kind of chasing. So that's something else I'm going to be very mindful of over the holiday to take care of my, my, you know, what I'm putting in because it's fuel for my body. So, yep. and I'm probably just going to eat like the muddiest little pig that's <laughs> on the farm because I swear that's all my fan or my family does is just feed me. And I, like you're saying, I'm, I should probably be smarter about it, but Bears fans, thank you guys so much for listening. You are the reason we do this. If you made it to this point and you haven't given us a review yet, we would really appreciate it. Pick your favorite platform. Comment for the algorithm. Corny to say, but it does help on YouTube. Yep. Uh, hit us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with us. Good night. Good night.